All right, this is take one for Charlie. Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host, Charlie McCarran, a composer in Minneapolis, and I started the show to share insights from other composers and songwriters about making music. You can hear all the episodes at ComposerQuest.com. This episode, I talked with guitarist and songwriter Mike Nillis. I met Mike doing some freelance video work for 3M, and I soon found out that he's been making some pretty cool music for many decades. His newest band, The Badenovs, is kind of a reunion band of his friends that he played with back in the 1970s. So I did some searching for some of his oldest recordings, and I found out that his single that he released with the band Smart Alex has gone on sale on eBay for over $700. Mike never expected these recordings would have such an impact on people. We feel vindicated a little bit because we did get booed off plenty of stages back then because it was kind of experimental for these clubs that have bands like us. Flashing forward to the 2000s, Mike talks about living in Italy and playing in an Italian blues band. He had a pretty unique experience working with the songwriter. He would have a melody and he would sing this gibberish and then I would turn that into English lyrics. Also in this episode, Mike divulges his creative secret, sleeping. But more importantly, waking up and recording the melodies you get in your dreams. At seven years old, I would wake up with melodies in my head. And I recall walking to school with my friends and I wouldn't talk to anybody because I was afraid I'd forget the melody. And so even to this day, my best creativity occurs in that short period of time between waking up, laying in bed, and getting out of bed. Mike and I have both had this mysterious experience of waking up with original melodies in our heads, which we then translated into real songs. I'd be curious if any of you have had the same experience. If you have, you should find Composer Quest on Facebook or Twitter and tell us your story. So now, on to my talk with Mike Nillis. I'm here with one of the St. Paul's original punk rockers. Would you say that? Yeah, I guess uh, we didn't have the safety pins in our cheeks or anything like that, but uh, we we ran with that crowd, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being here, Mike. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Before you came, I found some of your old band's recordings. Smart Alex. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like from 1970s? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of those recordings were like between 77 and 81. Punk was really big, and uh, and also we were... Um, more of a pop band than a punk band, but uh, our songs had kind of a punky edge to them. I don't like these Sunday nights. Sunday nights. Sunday nights. Mondays never turn out right. I wish that I could 
reading that your single that you guys put out as Smart Alex, one of those went on sale on eBay. Someone bought it for over seven hundred dollars. Yeah, something. yeah, that rare was rare recording. Uh, yeah, that somebody uh, in this town made a lot of money off of that single, and it wasn't us. <laughs> yeah, it's you know I get phone calls occasionally from people from all over the country, and uh, even once a guy from England called asking if I had any singles to sell them, and I don't. I only had like three to my name. We made, I think, 500 of them and pretty much just gave them away to our friends and family and sold a few here and there. Probably because there's only 500 out there, it's become a collector item. And uh, we feel vindicated a little bit because we weren't really appreciated back then very much. Back in that day and age, you know, if you wanted to play live, you had to play covers. We had three and a half sets of original music and... uh, we did get booed off plenty of stages back then because it was kind of experimental for these clubs that have bands like us, and uh, huh. generally the public didn't really care for it. But there was one place downtown Minneapolis that was like the Mecca, the Longhorn Bar, the only place in town really for bands like us, and uh, that's where it all started in the Twin Cities. The Suicide Commandos, those kind of bands, they got it all started down there, and we were part of that crowd. Cool. Yeah, it was really, really kind of heady times. You know, there was really a great scene here. It was just felt like it was 1964 all over again, you know. But it was uh, 77, 76, 77, 78. Really fun. Well, tonight, oh, when you're all alone, think of all the times we've known. And don't let go. And tonight, Listening back to those old tracks, how do you think you've changed now as a songwriter, oh, flashing boy. forward? Well, I've slowed down a little bit. <laughs> Everything back then was breakneck speed. Even though our songs were pop songs, they were fast. You could pogo to it. I don't know if you remember what pogo dancing is. Um, do you know what that is? No. Pogo, is uh, that was the style of dancing back then in the punk days because you would dance straight up and down. <laughs> One person described it as... Like a scarecrow on a jackhammer. (laughs) 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 Kind of like pig pen dances uh, in the Charlie Brown cartoons, you know, just pretty much bob your head up and down and jump up and down. But anyway, that was, that's how people danced. And so getting back to your question, uh, I think, you know, back then we wrote songs that were kind of a little bit more uh, frivolous, you know, a little funny, you know, tried to be funny once in a while or ironic. I think maybe that we've gone from ironic to sardonic <laughs> in our songwriting style. And, and Pat, my uh, songwriting partner, his songs have always been a lot more consistent. He's always been very heartfelt and very uh, sincere music. When you were just a little boy Watching cartoons, playing with toys Never cared what others said You always did things your own way Pat and I met in uh, junior high, ninth grade. His name starts with an O and mine with an N, so we sat next to each other in math class. He and I right away hit it off uh, because we had longer hair than everybody else <laughs> and part of our hair down the middle. So we started off by uh, getting together and just banging away on our guitars. And even back then, we always tried to create something new. So you guys kind of reunited and started a new band. Yeah, yeah. We broke up in 81. Pat turned into a father and raised three great kids. And I went on to play in other bands in the meantime. And when Pat's kids were all grown, he kind of 
put the idea out there about getting back together again, and along with Jeff, our friend who plays drums with us, uh, we whipped up a bunch of songs right away, and most of those are on this recording here, Fess Up. No world, there's no place for play, no place for imposing, things go our way. Maybe we could talk a little bit about your creative process, mm. like when you're coming up with songs. Well, yeah, I, uh, it's funny that when I was a young lad in grade school, I really had no interest in music at all, and, and it, it happened to me that uh, I saw the Beatles perform on Ed Sullivan the very first time they came to the United States in 1964, and uh, it transformed me instantly, and I realized that music was the most important thing on the planet then. Immediately, I started coming up with my own melodies at seven years old, and uh I would wake up with melodies in my head in the morning. And I recall uh, walking to school with my friends and I wouldn't talk to anybody because I was afraid I'd forget the melody. There was no way of recording it back then. And so even to this day, I find that my best creativity occurs in that short period of time between waking up, laying in bed, and getting out of bed when you're kind of uh, semi-conscious. And I get melodies that come to me that come from who knows where. But I just think, well, that's an interesting melody. I think I'll go hum it into my micro cassette recorder, or now I have a portable stereo recorder, and I'll just hum the melody into it, or maybe pick up a guitar and get figure out what the chords should be. And uh, sometimes I revisit them later on and say, well, that was a good melody. Why not flesh it out and come up with some lyrics? Sometimes a a line or two of uh, lyric comes along with the melody in my... I guess they're kind of a dream, I guess. Yeah. I don't consciously think about fishing a melody out of the air, but if one happens to be there, then I, even though I'm kind of semi-conscious, I realize, okay, here's something happening, so please remember this melody, you know, and don't fall back asleep. Yeah. <laughs> That's the important part. Yeah. And so I've got literally hundreds of these little melodic ideas on pieces of uh, micro cassette tape. You know, and then I'll just play back these tapes and, and I'll kind of document what's on there and say, that's a cool thing. Oh, that might work with the band. And that this one here is really different. That wouldn't really fit our style. That's cool you document them too, because I, I do that too sometimes if mm -hmm. I come up with an idea and record it. But I have almost like never gone back to actually listen to them again. It's amazing when you go back and you think, God, I don't remember doing that. I don't remember this melody. I don't remember that. Uh, not, sometimes they're not even melodies. Sometimes they're rhythms, you know, or a, this, a, a bass line or something like that. And not always in the morning either. Sometimes in the middle of the day it'll happen. I'm sure, I'm sure it happens to you too, right? Mm -hmm. that, you know, you'll be cruising yeah. along and something comes into your head. I used to always have a little micro cassette with me wherever I went. Kind of like Michael Keaton in what film was that, uh, Midnight Shift or something like that, where he'd have that... He'd have that little micro cassette recorder because he always had these entrepreneurial ideas. Oh. He would like just turn it on and like say, peanut butter and jelly in the same jar. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, that, that actually did come to be. But that's kind of like I was, you know. I mean, I, that's kind of like how you got to be, you know. You got to make sure that when these ideas come to you, you got to be receptive and mm -hmm. get them recorded somehow. Mm-hmm. And then so, document them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not document them, but oh, do something with yeah, them, you know. That's the important thing is to, the hard work follows, you know, because then you have to flesh it out. You have to 
think of a chorus or a bridge or and then obviously the lyrics. So that does take work, you know, after that. But to me, I always think I got to remember that feeling, you know, I got to remember that feeling that I had and I got to try to make sure I don't deviate very far from that feeling that that gave me. Hmm. So when you, even when you're half awake, you still have this feeling associated with the... Yeah, it's a, it's not only a feeling, it's but it's also an arrangement. I can hear like should be a horn in there, should be a female singer. That's hmm. that's pretty awesome, actually. You know, when you think about it, I guess it's because your brain is just totally not thinking about like what socks you should wear and you yeah, know, if you have enough milk in the refrigerator, you you know you're not thinking about anything. You know, it's just receptive to wherever these subconscious <laughs> thoughts come from. Mm-hmm. I'm sure most yeah. people, you know, have these things happen to them all the time. They just probably don't uh, don't recognize it. Don't recognize it. You know, I sometimes have dreams and wake up with these songs, and I've noticed this usually when I've been thinking a ton about composing. Oh, and mm-hmm. like if I've been in the mode, the mm-hmm. mindset of music theory, mm-hmm. then I can wake up and I can remember what the theory is behind these songs, mm-hmm. so I can oh. actually like transfer it over to playing it on piano or something. Mm-hmm. But you, you record these then? Yeah, I, I record them. Mm-hmm. And some have actually become songs. Yeah, yeah. The Did best you... one I had was uh, I was having this dream that my friend was in one room and another friend was in another room, and he was playing guitar. And she was singing something separate. Dun, 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 dun. And I was telling them, hey, these could go together. That's great. And I woke up, and that ended up being a song of mine. Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah. Not a word spoke since you asked me to take you home. Well, I bet it's one of your favorite songs, right? It actually is, yeah. You know, see, these are, I just think of these are gifts that come to us, and we have to do something with them. Yeah. And um, it's almost ahead. like you, if you overthink it too much, you can ruin it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's why I say you got to get back to that core feeling you had, you know? Mm hmm. It's like, I almost feel like I'm not even the songwriter then. I just feel like I was just the guy hanging out when this thing <laughs> came. <laughs> the prophet. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I never thought of that. But <laughs> I did have one occasion once, Charlie, that I, I could just shoot myself where I, uh, I had a dream where I was sitting across, like you and I are sitting right now, two feet apart. On the other side was Paul McCartney. And he and I were writing this song together. And I remember thinking to myself, while we were singing and this melody was playing, I thought to myself, you know, this song is darn near as pretty as yesterday. It might even be prettier than yesterday. <laughs> and I realized, oh my God, this is, a, this is an original song. And what did I do? Oh my God, I'm so tired. Oh my God. I fell asleep. Never, it never came back to me. <sighs> never. And oh. I just remember it was the most beautiful melody that taught me a lesson. It taught me a lesson that to, not to let those things escape. <laughs> yeah. That's funny because yesterday that did come to him that, in a dream, didn't it? It was one of those type of songs, yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. So you know I, your music history. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm a pretty big Beatles fan too. And actually, mm-hmm. it's funny you mentioned that because I remember distinctly two different dreams where I had one that was Paul singing a melody. Oh, and Jersey. one that was John singing a melody.
Those are those are somewhere in my recording. So. Oh, you better go fish those out. Yeah, you should get those out and get those fleshed out. I'm sure they'll be beautiful. Well, it's funny. I don't know if you noticed this, but it seems like musical idols of mine or mentors mm-hmm. are the ones in my dreams who end up like singing these melodies or something. That well, that's great. It, it only happened to me once. It, no, it happened to me twice. And the other one is a funny story. There was a band from Australia in the '80s called The Church. Uh, they were definitely a favorite band of mine. And so I had this dream one morning where, in my dream, I was having a party at my house with a bunch of workmates, and uh, we were just hanging out, drinking beers, and I had my stereo playing in my dream. And a guy from work came up to me and said, Hey, that's a cool song. Who is this? And I said, Oh, this is a band. I really like these guys. They're from Australia. They're called The Church. And then it occurred to me that this was not a church song. This was just a dream song. And I got up and I went and, and sang it into a micro cassette recorder and fleshed it out and introduced it to the band I was in at the time. And that became our only hit. That was our big hit. And I was on the radio here. It's the best thing that'll happen to you. It's something to look forward to. Later on, I ran into Steve Kilby, this lead singer from the church, and I told him the story. I said, yeah, you know, I had this song that I thought was you guys. And he goes, well, I better bloody get some royalties then, right? (laughs) And he was serious. He did not smile a bit. And he didn't use the word bloody either. He used another word. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Are any of these dream songs ones that made it onto the Badenoffs record? Uh, definitely Poor Man's Paradise. Let Me Off Here is another one, number nine. That came to me back when I was living in Italy. finish it till I moved back here so it was probably sitting on a tape for three or four years before I finally did something with it. Somewhere back our minds got crossed We fell asleep at the wheel This is where I'll get off Could you let me off here you lived in Italy for six years or so? Yes. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you said you're in a blues band over there. Yeah, blues rock band, yeah. How was that? Yeah, a lot of people will say, do Italians get the blues? <laughs> but uh, it was northern Italy, so yeah, you can get the blues in northern Italy. <laughs> and it was really cool. Uh, it was really interesting working with musicians with a whole different approach. The leader in this band is very gifted musically. He went to the Conservatorio and was a classical composer, but he had this uh, real great love for American blues rock. And he wrote these really great songs. Initially, he would write these songs, and he would have a melody, and he would sing this gibberish. And he called the school I was teaching at, and I happened to be hanging out by the secretary's desk, and he explained who he was and that he was a songwriter, and he's looking for somebody to write lyrics for his songs in English. 
And why he called the school, I have no idea. <laughs> I suppose he just knew there would be English-speaking people there. And the secretary looked up at me and she said, Mike, there's a guy on the phone who wants to find somebody who can help him write lyrics in English. And I said to her, well, I speak English and I'm a songwriter. And so she puts him on the phone and I told him that. And he goes, oh, encore Amelio. <laughs> you know, that's even better. <laughs> You're a songwriter too? Great. So that's how we got together. And he wrote all this gibberish, and then I would turn that into English lyrics. Then I would coach him how to pronounce that when he sang. And then eventually I told him, you know, I can play guitar too. So you know, <laughs> so then I, I got together with him, and it was fun. His approach to band rehearsals was totally different than what I'm used to because he came there and he told everybody what part to play and how to play it. And at first it's like, wow, this is not like the way I would do it, but his musical knowledge was so deep that he knew everybody's parts really well, and when it all came together, it was just really cool. And the funny thing was is that people there, they don't drink beer like we do. <laughs> they don't. So we would have these rehearsals, and everybody would just pound coffee, you know, espresso. Everybody was so agitated by the end of the night, they were all arguing and everything. So I thought, I better start bringing some beer here and calm these guys down a little bit. So I started bringing beer to rehearsals. <laughs> so what did you learn from translating gibberish into English lyrics? That was really a great experience because I don't really consider myself a very good lyricist in the strict sense of the term. I mean, I've got music coming in my head all the time, but lyrics are kind of a job for me to come up with. But I actually found that it was very helpful to listen to his gibberish and follow that syllabic meter. You're gonna win the man, riddle got a man, win the man alive. Oh, is that a word used to be? That was a very good, I don't want to call it an exercise, but it was really, it really helped me to uh, come up with lyrics that I was very happy with. You try to find the spirit of the song and figure out what this song is about. So you went mostly off of the mood you're feeling in the music rather than he didn't give you specific things he wanted to write. Never, no. Huh. He never told me, no, this is a song about a girl that I met. No, he never told me that. <laughs> the music said it all. You know, I just had to find the right lyric to support that. Yeah. It was very fulfilling to work that way. It was really, yeah. really interesting. Another thing I was going to ask you about, too. So you guys in the Bad Novs have done a song for Joe Maurer? Is that oh right? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Where did that come from? Well, that was another one of those songs that I had on a tape. It was a song that came to me again in the morning while I was living in Modena. And when Pat, my songwriting partner, when he approached the band, he's very good friends with the Maurer family. They grew up together. They Pat coached Joe Maurer in, in many other sports other than baseball. And after Joe won the batting title in 2006, Jake Maurer, Joe's dad, approached Pat and said, why don't the Badenovs write a song in, in Joe's honor? And Pat, and he and I got together and I played him a, a bunch of melodies that I had laying around. It's like going to the warehouse of melodies. And Pat kind of said, this one here is better. This one might be good. Midway Joe, watch him hit it to the left, hit it to the right, keeping pitches up at night. Broadway Joe was this 
football player in the 60s, Joe Namath, who was real glitzy and flashy. In the Midway, where Joe Maurer and his family grew up, is this real working class, uh, um, humble area of St. Paul. And so it was supposed to be kind of a play on words, Midway Joe. And, and uh, the Maurer family liked it, but uh, I don't think Joe did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I don't think Joe liked the attention, basically, oh. the song gave him. And he doesn't like that kind of music, really. He likes rap music. I guess Joe's got a uh, studio. He, he built a house in the woods somewhere, and he built a studio in there because he wants huh. to be a hip-hop singer when he's done with his baseball career. So <laughs> huh, if you can cool. believe it, yeah. Well, the other kind of funny song you guys wrote, Drive 55. Well, it's 6 p.m. and you're out of gas and so it's a gas station. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, my God. Yeah, you, you really I did some research. Back. Yeah. <laughs> So that was, what, a public service announcement song? For... Yeah, well, back in the day, back uh, in the 70s, when there was an oil embargo in our country from Iran, and the U.S. government realized that car mileage would be a, is a lot better if people drive at the speed of 55. So the entire United States, every state had to lower their speed limits down from 75 miles an hour on the freeways down to 55. That was a massive change for everybody. And so to promote this, the uh, Department of Public Safety, I suppose, uh, they wanted some jingles. Well, it's 6 p.m. and you're out of gas and so's a gas station. And now you're wishing that you wouldn't have been driving so fast then. Now your girl's not impressed that you can drive so fast she's calling daddy home for a ride. Maybe you'll remember when you're home tonight, try 55. Maybe you'll remember when you're alone tonight, try 55. A message from the Minnesota Department of Public Safety. Well, Mike, I think that's kind of the end of my questions okay. for you here. <laughs> covered, interrogation. Covered a lot of decades there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was really great talking to you. Likewise. Thanks yeah. a lot for having me. This is fun. Well, that wraps up this episode of Composer Quest with Mike Nillis. For more Mike's music, you can go to myspace.com slash thebadnovs. And badnovs is spelled B-A-D-I-N-O-V-S. So thanks for listening, and I'll leave you with this new song Mike played for me live called There's an Axon. It's time that you remember Just where the love began Pick up where you left off And follow your heart's plan It's time that you reopen All the contracts that you've lost And realize your purpose Is to give at every cause Somewhere there's an axon Sleeping on the job Your heart's got a short circuit Turn a synapse on It's time these spells were broken And troubles packed away Kinder words were spoken Before the devil checks your bags 
careful what you wish for Your eyes are bigger than your heart And it's all just window dressing Everybody's got a part Cause somewhere there's an axon Turn the synapse on